Thank you for joining me, Ryan Sweeney, the View from the Skies podcast host. It's 2020, and what better way to kick it off than having Scott Better, signs of a great resume, award-winning author, hosting today, talking the military transition, talking, taking your military skills and your military bullets and turning them into a great corporate civilian resume to get your best brand out there. Today's going to be an episode that you absolutely want to listen to start to finish uh, and listen what Scott has to say. It's not every day you get to have an opportunity to listen to an award-winning author who, who has experience, who's a mentor, and who wants to just help you out. So here we go. Without further ado. All right. Hey, Scott. Thanks for joining today. Thanks for having me, Ryan. All right. So, so, so some would say you're the, the resume you know, guru, or at least when it comes to educating <laughs> military transitioners uh, on, on a resume or how to civilianize their resume. So uh, you know, that's what today's episode is going to be about. But before we jump into all that, let's, uh, let's get into your background a little bit. Yeah, well, thanks. You know, I was a uh, Fortune 100 recruiter, and um, I did over 5,000 interviews before I stopped counting, and most people's resumes are awful, and that's not unique to veterans or civilians. That's just most people don't know what I'm looking for on a resume and how I use that information. So I wrote a book about it, Signs of a Great Resume, chiefly to vent my own frustrations, uh, but also because I realized it, it could help people. My point of view and sharing some insights from behind the recruiter's desk really help people succeed in their careers. And it took off. It became a bestseller. I went on the book tour and wherever I'd go, I'd meet veterans and they'd say, hey, what about us? It's different. And I'd say, hey, what do I know? I didn't serve. My dad and my grandfather both did. They were both Army E6s when they got out in Vietnam era. And my grandfather was a medic in the Philippines in World War II. But there was no transition programs. There was no, um, you know, foundations or skill bridge or even TAP program back then, right? that helped them. So they struggled the rest of their lives in blue collar jobs that never called upon their best experience. So I made it my mission to help today's vets have a different story if I can help it. Uh, and I've become an expert in this space. I've been twice invited to the White House, the current and previous administrations. I've been up to the Pentagon. I attended the National Security Seminar at the Army War College. And I get to work with groups all over the country uh, who focus on veteran transition. And I've met thousands of vets uh, to talk through questions they have about their resumes, interviews, um, both one-on-one and consultations I do, and then through events that I present at. It really is, and I sincerely mean, the great privilege of my career to do this work um, because I really think veterans are some of our best employees in the civilian workforce. They're just sometimes not the best job candidates. It's because the one thing the military does not make veterans awesome at is being a job candidate, and so that's where I come in. Yeah, and, and I, I appreciate your service you know, to veterans like myself and, and everything that you're doing to give back. And, I, I, you know, I think you're spot on. I mean, although we've come a long way since since the Vietnam era, we are still the, the selfless service individual or the person who, who constantly just puts team in front of self. And, and it's not to say that 
you need to go out there and be selfish. It's just kind of we don't know what we don't know. Everything's about accomplishing the mission, uh, kind of putting one foot and forward in front of the other. And and there's and even though the, some of these programs are getting better, um, certainly there's still a lot to learn for individuals. So I, you know, I thank you and commend you for for what you've done, uh, even if it if it started with venting with frustrations. Because at the end of the day, um, you know, that's kind of what I'm doing here with the podcast. Is I'm I, I just I, I see some of the the on both sides from from the corporate side and from and from the transitioner side, just some of the mistakes that people are making. And it, it starts as a vent, but at the end of the day, I just, I want people to learn and, uh, and gain some of that feedback and use it to, to better position themselves. Yeah. And, you know, I think it's totally fair to ask for help from experts who are great at what they do. Um, and so, you know, I, I thank you for your uh, grateful description of uh, my uh, resume guru, I think you called me. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, I, the fact is I've done this a lot and, what I've realized as I talk to my colleagues in the recruiting space is, you know, you can ask 100 recruiters our opinions about resumes. You'll get 150 opinions or more about <laughs> resumes and interviews. <laughs> what you will never hear a recruiter say is, the candidate made it too easy to see why they're a great fit for this job. So there's a lot of noise out there in the system about resumes and interviews and personal branding and LinkedIn presence and at the end of the day, it just matters that an employer can see the unique value that you bring to them. And when it comes to you know, your veteran experience, there really is a lot that each individual veteran brings that's unique and different from everyone else that had the same MOS or uh, persons that served in a similar role. So the more we talk about those things, the unique qualifiers, the better. Yeah. And, and, and I know we're going to cover soft skills and hard skills and, and, and whatnot, but you know, that that's, I think that's a great segue to get into into this because, you know, we veterans focus a lot on the soft skills and kind of look at ourselves as the jack of all trades, master to none. But but there are hard skills there. You just got to dig a little deeper and, and put yourself in a different frame of mind. And you're going to help us hopefully do that with uh, with the first question here being what is your best tip for writing a resume? So the most important thing to think about on a resume is a resume is not a job description. I get a lot of resumes from all types of people in every career. Let's just use teachers as an example who just write a job description. If you're an English teacher and you write taught English classes, graded papers, tracked grades, prepared students for the next level. Well, so what? So did every other teacher. That's not good enough. It, same if you're an officer in the military who says, you know, led a team, developed others, you know, planned projects and missions. Okay, well, that's what officers do. Good. But that's not enough because I don't want to just hire any officer or any enlisted service member or any military spouse. I want to hire you, and you got to tell me what makes you unique. So the solution to writing a resume that is not a job description is to use what I call the signs of a great resume. And there are these little symbols that I've come up with that really help to articulate what makes you a unique candidate. And if you're following along at home on a keyboard, they're easy to find. They're above the numbers one through five on your keyboard. Those are the signs, the exclamation point. Wow, look at what I did. Nobody else could say that. At what point you did, you did certain things that made you a particularly relevant experience and some numbers, dollars and percent that help quantify what make you a great candidate for the job. When you use those symbols, the signs of a great resume to explain your experience, the facts will speak for themselves. 
And that goes back to that uh, point about being, you know, sort of that selfless service that our service members demonstrate. And I get a lot of veterans tell me, oh, I don't want to brag about myself. I say, good. I don't want you to brag about yourself either. What I want you to show me is some objective evidence of your past success. Because it's long been said that the best indicator of future success is past success. So when you use the signs of a great resume to articulate particular successes you've had and results you've driven, you make it unique to just you. And you're not bragging. You're simply telling me the truth. And that, I think, is something we can all get around. Yeah, and, and I'm, I'm going to put that, you know, I have your sheet in front of me, and I know you can go on your LinkedIn and kind of get your, your – um once over the world and and certainly they can i'm going to put the book on there and they can go uh out and check the book out as well but uh i I want to make a joke out there because anybody who's been in the military more than a couple uh a couple days realizes they've had to change passwords so many times so they should be very familiar with those top five (laughs) top five rows because you start to get unique with some of your passwords with all the requirements that are in there uh for the DOT. so um but 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 Back to the resume specifically, uh, you know, I, and that's one thing I, uh, you know, I struggled with personally off the bat. And and the one thing I wanted to convey out there is, is you know, when you're in the military world, not so much in the corporate world, you're not, um, nobody's really throwing the dollar symbols around or a lot of these metrics around as much. Uh, and, and that's something that I wanted to convey. And one of my bullets I put on there is I was, I was working and I'm going to speak military term here to help, help connect this all together but as a brigade assistant s3 and it was basically my job to figure out how to best best utilize blade hours we were on a blade hour requirement program so i had to figure out how to mix missions and match missions and and can't and cancel them if we couldn't find more value out of the mission or push back or try to find a way to make it more of a training objective and so on and and at the end of the day by by standardizing that process, I equated to what I saved was about $5 million in, in blade hours. Now, that's, and I say that because it depends on who you ask. Uh, there, there's a, a kind of a range of, of how much it costs to operate. And this was specifically in the, in the UH-60 Blackhawk community, but how much it costs to operate the, the aircraft when you start talking to, you know, how much you're paying what rank of soldier to fly it and and how much the maintenance and blade hours but generally you get an idea and and i think what i wanted to stress most here is at the end of the day nobody's i think five million dollars is pretty much in the ballpark it might be lower it might be close to two or three million it might be higher close to eight eight million but it's 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 a ballpark number and nobody's going to come back and question me of hey did i make up that number now it's not something that's completely made up um but for, for, for military folks who, who sit there and scratch their head go, well, I don't really know, uh, you know, you try to get it, try to get it within a good reason and, and allow that to, to get that number on a piece of paper and do, do your research and whatnot, but uh, put that in there to, yeah. to, to make sure that you have that, that value in there, that, that quantitative side of the house that, that jumps out to, you know, to people like yourself. Sure. And I think I agree. You know, you can make some fair estimates that are fair. So like if you were to post that up on the wall of your duty station and every person there went in and said, hey, look what Ryan's saying on his resume, they'd all go, yeah, that sounds about right. You know, it's not extraordinary. It's not way out of nowhere that you're pulling numbers. But it's also not critical that every bullet has a number or a dollar on it. 
Sure, money talks in the civilian workforce, e even in the nonprofit world. You know, we've got our eyes on, uh, you know, how to save money, spend money wisely, uh, and, uh, and generate money. Uh, and certainly, many of those are important to the military, although it's not revenue generating, right? Uh, so, when you can articulate a dollar value, great. But that's in part why the first sign of a great resume is an exclamation point, because sometimes you just did something that was remarkable, and that can be enough to say, wow, this is really unique. Let me tell you about this. I work with a lot of uh, Navy SEALs, and they you know, spend some time working at embassies and advising ambassadors and you know, senior foreign leaders on you know, decisions about security and all sorts of other things. And I think, wow, that, that, you couldn't put a dollar value on that time. You couldn't say, well, I had two meetings, and that's a good number. No, it's an <laughs> exclamation point. You know, our country's senior most diplomat in a country listens when I have something to say because of all the qualities I bring to that conversation, the data and information, how I influence, and uh, that's kind of that blend of soft and hard skills that you're talking about. So the exclamation point is a metaphor. You should not actually write exclamation points. You'll feel like you're yelling at me. <laughs> but uh, you know, uh, it's, um, it's an opportunity for you to say, here's something unique that's just about my experience that I think you should know because it might be relevant. So um, let me ask you this then. What about, uh, now that we're talking about bullets maybe that, that are more narrative and such, what about what about bullet length? Are you are you an individual who's, who's it needs to be one line, or if it if it tells a story in more than one line and, get, and gets the reader interested, is that is that something somebody well, should look forward to? Yeah, you know, I think uh, my uh, answer about bullet length is the same about my answer on resume length. It should be as long as it needs to be to tell me why you're a great fit for the job. And in many cases, when it comes to how long a resume is. That's a page or two. I'm, I don't have real hard rules on it. Um, and in most bullets, it's a line or two. And for both of those, the same reason applies, because we don't have time to read a lot of information. We're going very quickly through resumes. The, uh, I think it was Career Builder or someone did a study on recruiters' eyeballs, and it kind of tracked you know, how long we're looking at a resume before we you know, say no or maybe. And it was like 7 to 30 seconds apiece. Mm -hmm. So there's no reading three line bullets and page three or four of your CV that's going on. You know, it's just not happening. Now, for some types of applications and, and some resumes, such as a you know, federal resume, which I've never recruited for the Fed, so I won't uh, speak to exactly why their resumes' uh, expectations are sometimes different. And for the academe or professions like medicine, where you have you know, publications and research they may be interested in, that may be different. But for most service members going into most civilian careers, the more concisely you can convey your story, the better. Because the recruiters got to go very quickly from candidate to candidate to decide who do I want to interview, and we're just not going to get into so many details. All right. And so, so what if? Let me ask you this hypothetical scenario. You do, and, and I understand that you know we're talking resume as a general, and we want to get it. You're applying to a job, so it needs to match a job description. But what if you have that exclamation point um, that that maybe maybe is loosely tied with the job description, maybe not, but it's something. Hey, like you know, I I, I worked on this mission with the president of the United States, um, you know, advisory team or something like that. So is that something that should be included uh, if it's if it's that much of an amazing or that much of an exclamation point? Or does do we do you need to keep those still job specific and find a way to spin that to to fit the job description? 
Well, I think for most of the veterans I've met and worked with, there are extraordinary things that they have done in their careers that might just not apply. Um, and so the, the resume is always about filtering information to what is the most directly applicable information for the task at hand. So there are a myriad things you may have skills in, but there's a specific target here, which is to get a job, maybe a specific job, at a civilian organization. And so while I work with a lot of, you know, like I said, special operators who may spend time knocking down doors, finding bad guys and stuff, those may be extraordinary accomplishments you've had, but they might not relate. And so an important filter to put on your resume is, yeah, your name is at the top, but this resume is not about you. It's about what you can do for me, the employer. And everything you write has to be filtered with that in mind. And maybe there are things in your career that were significant, they were hard, they made a real difference in the world, but if they don't relate to what you can do for me, you might not need to tell me about them. So, so that being said, and I was going to hold this question later, but I think it's a good transition. Um, what do you recommend uh, a summary or an objective or like a candidate profile or none of the above or all of the above or uh, <laughs> to, to, to best describe how you fit for the organization, how you're a match and what you can bring to the table? Yeah, it, so I think the most succinct way to say that would be something like a summary of qualifications because that says exactly what it is. I'm going to summarize for you why I'm qualified for you. <laughs> the, you know, if people write a professional statement or a career profile or a brand positioning statement. The recruiter probably doesn't care about any of those. They care about what you can do for them. So let's make it about what you can do for them. Write a summary of qualifications uh, to start. All right. So how do I, how do somebody like myself or somebody like a military transitioner out there translate the skills? So a civilian recruiter, now that we've, we've laid out, you know, what they've done and, and how to write a bullet so they understand it a little bit more. Great. So I want you to picture, and everybody listening, you can picture in your mind somewhere in your life an 11-year-old child whose parents are not in the military. Can you picture that kid? Get their picture in your head. That kid knows about as much about the military as most civilian adults. You can't trust civilians to understand what in the world you're talking about unless a fifth grader would also get it. So you gotta pass what I call the smart fifth grader test with every word you write on your resume. And there's just three simple questions to the smart fifth grader test. Number one, are you using simple language? Language that would be easily understood by any 11 year old kid. And the simple answer to that today is a lot of vets don't because there is a certain language to the military and how uh, things are spoken about and what terms are used and certainly jargon and acronyms that is pervasive. And it's just how work gets done in the military, but it just isn't how work gets done in the civilian world. So, Ryan, you had an example before you said you were talking about blade hours. Well, you know, that means something related to Blackhawks. But to me, it might sound like how long you spent sharpening your Swiss Army knife, <laughs> you know? Um, even words you use every day, like if you say deployed and you mean got sent somewhere, I might mean the parachute functioned appropriately. Like I don't use that word a lot, deployed. If you say joint and you mean an international or interagency team, if I say joint, I might be referring to arthritis or marijuana. Like who knows? <laughs> so you, you can't make assumptions about what civilian knows. And if you're hitting your caps lock, it's probably a point to pause and go, wait a minute, is the civilian really going to understand what SOCOM means? 
you know, there's a few abbreviations you can kind of take as most civilians will get it. I like to say if the average news watching American would probably know FBI, NATO, SEAL, you know, ask most Americans, does SEAL stand for something? Is that when you spell that out? And they make, oh, yeah, but I don't know what it is. So you can always abbreviate stuff like that. But when it comes to more complicated things, you don't need to throw in the jargon, the abbreviations, or terms that are patently military, unless the civilian knows them. And you have to assume they don't know more than a fifth grader. Now, the good news is that's the lowest common denominator of civilian understanding. And everyone who knows more will also get it. So if your resume is written like a fifth grader would understand, and it ends up on the desk of some retired army colonel, she's going to understand it too. You're just very unlikely that the recruiter is going to be a retired army colonel, statistically speaking. Right. <laughs> you know, with so few Americans serving and so few veteran connected even, um, the odds are just not in your favor. So when you write in a way that everyone can understand, you're just being simpler. So are you using simple language is the first question on our smart fifth grader test. The second question is, are you focused on good news only? Now, I recognize the business of fighting war is not always good news. However, I don't want to hear the details about knocking down doors and finding bad guys, like I said. What I want to know is, how did you make the world a better place? How did you make things more effective or efficient? How did you help people to learn or grow or improve? When you give me those kind of details, that's what you can articulate using the signs of a great resume. Those signs, the exclamation point, at, number, dollar, percent, are the way to quantify your good news. For every bullet you write on your resume, I want you to assess, are you telling me some kind of good news? Because it's not enough to say, I did a thing. You have to say, I did it well, and here's why it matters to you. So I'll get a lot of resumes that'll say, you know, let a team of 15 people doing this thing and achieve a great result. But if they don't say achieve the great result part, they're not telling me good news. If they just say, let a team who did X, Y, and Z tasks, you could infer they did that poorly. <laughs> so you actually have to say some kind of good news in it. And the best way to show good news is with the signs of a great resume. And it, so, yeah, and it all, all goes back to um, and I'm getting the gist there that everything's going back to to those using those signs. So going back to the exclamation yeah. point, the the uh, the ampersand, I think I'm saying that right, the ampersand, the pound and the dollar signal and the and the percent sign. So uh, and, and it's something that I think where I found most success with it is is when you write it. Put it, put it away uh, It's let it sit for a week or fester for a week and then you go out and do some informational interviews, talk to people and then you, as you and come back to it and then you come back to it and you go, oh, well, I've been talking with some folks and uh, I, I, I could see where this yeah. might not make sense and then you make some changes and you come back to it and you let it sit for a little while and come back to it, let it sit for a while and come back to it and that's what I've personally found and, and you know, I, I went with you know one bullet in my mind specifically on my resume. Uh, originally talked about um, how at an operating post, our our aircraft were getting engaged by uh, enemy forces every single time, and I used what end up being demaic for those you know who who follow Lean and Six Sigma in the manufacturing world. Before I even knew what demaic was to problem solve it. 
and reduce the tax from 90% to zero. So that was my that was my good story. I always knew it was 90% to zero, but then as I as I started understanding civilian terms a little bit more, I could I could start to to talk the Demaic side of the piece and talk risk uh, you know risk analysis, risk reduction, uh, collaborative decision making, on all that kind of stuff. And um, you know that's why I came back and kind of morphed my bullet. Came back and kind of morphed my bullet as I as I talked yeah. to individuals and and you know listened to read books and listened to podcasts and so on and so forth. So right. Um, well, I, I think you did the right thing. Uh, and uh, as an author, I'll tell you, it is helpful to just leave your work and let it sit a minute and uh, give it a second to kind of grow in your mind and test it out a little with an audience first because. Uh, you know what you want to say, but if it's not clear to the audience the point you're trying to make, um, sometimes you just need time to make it clear. Uh, for those listening who might not know Demaic, I think you're talking about define, measure, analyze, improve, and control. Um, and those those things are exactly how you might find ways to articulate the signs. You know what? Maybe the problem you defined is the exclamation point. Like, wow, uh, we did this significant uh, discovery of there was a gap in our supply chain, for instance, or there was a uh, an inefficiency in how we were using labor. Uh, however, you measured it can be one of the ways you quantify it. And I know that you can't always talk all the details, but make sure there is good news in how you are defining your um, examples. And it relates to the last and final question for our smart fifth grader, which is. Are you getting to the point quickly? Because both an 11-year-old and a recruiter have a super short attention span. <laughs> so, you know, I'm sure that you've probably in your military career seen or written evals that are like, you know, because of a strategic intent aligned with a five-year priority as presidentially directed to secure the blessings of our democracy, yada, yada, yada. We did a thing. So just say we did a thing. It's much easier to be concise and get to the point quickly. And I'm told the military term here that seems to work nicely is bluff. Bottom line up front. Yep. Yeah, just do that. The way I think about bluff as a civilian is, can you tell me a fairy tale backwards? They all lived happily ever after. Good news. Because once upon a time, huh, here's some details if you need it. And uh, it's all about hooking you in wanting to know more, correct? Right. And that way, if you're writing a bullet that's even if it's two lines long, you've made the point up front. So as the recruiter moves very quickly through your resume, they start reading the bullet. They go, oh, I care about this. Look at this great result they got to. You know, some people have heard of the, the star method situation, task, action, results of describing examples. I actually prescribe more to the rats method. Give me the results and the action you took to achieve those results. Because the situation and the task that you're in in the military are unlikely to be tasks and situations you're doing in the civilian world in most instances. So what about uh, now we we talked about the bullet specifically when it comes to to making this the fifth grade test. But what about uh, job, uh, the positions or the job titles that you have on there? Do you have any recommendations? Uh, for individuals or maybe that you've seen. I mean, I, I see a lot of individuals coming out of the military now and it's, I think they're getting hammered by the, the TAP system and, and uh, everybody's an operations manager or a project manager yeah. that I see <laughs> today. Uh, so, and, and I'm like, wow, well, you know, there should be no shortage of, of highways and, uh, you, you know, construction workers, I guess, out there. Uh, but but sure. you have any, do you have any recommendations on how to, how to make that, uh, fit that into the whole fifth grade test? Yeah. So uh, when it comes to resumes, I like to say there really are no rules except that you have to be truthful. 
but it's not a deposition. You don't have to tell the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth. What exactly was your job title? So yeah, you were a brigade assistant S3. Okay, go tell that to a fifth grader and they'll look at you like you, you've got you know, stars in their eyes, right? They have no idea what you mean. So what I say is you can fairly characterize the job that you did in a way that you could pass the red face test with your colleagues at your command. And also that makes sense. So here's the little secret about civilian job titles. A lot of times we just make stuff up. And when we don't know what to call it, we call it project manager. <laughs> Everybody and their brother, including me twice, has been called a project manager. But I absolutely was not building highways in construction or anything like what you just described. I don't have a PMP or anything like that. But the idea here is if you bring your, your experience to life with a characterization of the job that is more helpful for someone to understand, as long as it's fair, you're safe. So I don't want you to be the CEO of this installation. Like, okay, you might feel like that. You might very well be top dog at that installation. Um, but for most civilian organizations, there's one CEO, and that's you know whoever the CEO is. So calling yourself a CEO deeper in the organization isn't something that translates. So I'd rather you'd say something like senior most executive or senior executive, installation management, or even better yet, senior executive city planning, community relations, and whatever else. And yeah. now that's not a job title that the Army ever put on your business card or whoever, but if it's a fair characterization, it helps me understand you. Yeah, and that's and, and that's kind of what has spurned this whole podcast for me. I mean, my job now is in production control, and, and when I talk to my fellow aviators who are still in and they – want to provide me names and recommendations, they go to Army Aviation Production Control. Well, Army Aviation Production Control is about managing maintenance schedule on an aircraft while production control in a manufacturing facility is more about the flow of material. So my job yeah. most correlates to when I was a battle captain in Afghanistan where I was, what I was doing was managing suppliers, vendors, and and our supervisors and trying to just push pull information and material to keep everything uh, flowing uh, throughout the organization and assisting them as the, you know, as the uh, collaborator, so to speak. So, so that is, is a, you know, by doing these other informational interviews and by listening to podcasts like this, you, you start to find out some of the other terms to your point that you can put on there that, that, yeah, there, you know, there is no vendor manager, you know, in, in the army or in, or any of the, um, services, but, but if you're looking to get into manufacturing, you can start to look at all the skills and requirements that correlate and you can put it on there. And yeah. to your point, you hang post it up on the wall. Somebody walks by, nobody's going to bat an eye on it. Yeah. And, and I talked to a, a service member the other day, I believe he was Navy. No, he was army. Uh, and he was, he's working on the new vertical lip platforms. Mm -hmm. uh, and so he's working a lot with people in industry. And so if he were to characterize the job he does as vendor relationship management for procurement and construction of equipment or you know, new design and innovation, something like that, I start to understand it better than for him to say, director, program management, vertical lift platforms. Because that Vertical lift platform sounds like an elevator to a civilian, <laughs> you know, <laughs> doesn't make any sense. Um, but uh, so in, in essence, what I'm saying is be as simple as you can to describe what you're doing, but also do it in a way that adds some value because it's not enough to just say operations manager. 
give some color to it so I get a better understanding. And then if you want to include a little blurb in your resume somewhere about what did you mean by director of vendor management for uh, you know, uh, procurement and innovation, then you can describe what you meant by that. And you can give it life by saying, you know, I worked with X, Y, and Z partners in the aviation industry to design a new helicopter. And that's a lot simpler than trying to tell me what a vertical lift platform is. Yeah. No, and uh, I appreciate you you sharing that because, um, you know, like I said, I don't know, I'm just seeing, I'm seeing it more and more and more. And it's like, I don't know, it's hitting the easy button, I, I feel like is what it is. And, yeah. um, you know, the last thing we need is another project manager. Out there. Yeah. <laughs> and that's not to put down project manager. I mean, some people really are project managers and some people are applying for a job that's a project manager and that's fine. I'd still like more detail. So project manager distribution and supply chain analysis or project manager operations planning tactics and security strategies like something like that even gives me more information because you can be the project manager of anything ryan you're the project manager of this podcast you, know, you set a deliverable we did worked on a timeline and you coordinated everybody that's not enough so project manager alone i don't think does justice to the experience that veterans bring to the workforce and when you bring to life how you project manage with the signs of a great resume, then you'll really be telling a story that's unique and your resume will speak for itself. So what about the soft skills? You know, that, that's one thing a lot of, you know, a lot of military folks hang their hat on is what, when they when they go through the transition is, you know, whether it's a sense of of comfort or or. or it's just is what it is coming out of the military. A lot of people hang their hat on their soft skills. How, how is that most effectively um, articulated on a resume? Yeah, so what I like to say is you should think about conveying to recruiters that you are a patriot, and it's an acronym I came up with because we know how we love our acronyms, right? Um, but to think about explaining the following things on your resume through how you describe the way you get work done perhaps in your summary of qualifications, perhaps in each example. When you say I'm a patriot, you're saying that I possess values, I'm accountable, I'm trainable, respectful, I take initiative, I'm on time, and I'm a team player. Any of those types of skills are skills that every civilian employer should value. They're also skills that pretty much come with every veteran I've ever met. Um, you know, so they are pretty uh, identifiable as traits that you are likely to possess. When you articulate how you've demonstrated those skills using the signs of a great resume, now you'll have blended the two together, the soft skill of accountability with the hard facts around how you maintain that accountability or what strides you make to improve it or how you helped it be more efficient. The combination of those two can help convey more the full picture of your veteran experience. Because I think you've seen some of the you know, leading voices on LinkedIn say things like, well, it's not enough to just say, well, I'm a veteran, so I'm a leader. You have to give more than that. And I think by articulating those patriot values, we get more specific. And by giving examples using the signs of a great resume, you make those traits just about you. Yeah, and and I love how this is all circling back to to the you know the summary of qualifications and, and circling back to the signs, uh, you know the the signs or the the exclamation point and whatnot that uh, that you need to use because it, it's sh it's showing you the importance of tying it all in together uh, and making it flow so so that reader doesn't you know maybe they read it more than that seven to thirty seconds. Uh, 
because they get hooked in because i mean it's just you know at the end of the day it's like reading a book or or listening to listening to somebody talk if you can tell and articulate that story that that the individual that that you are a qualified individual the reader's going to want to read more they're going to want to go through more than skimming through the bullets um and and to to learn more about you as a potential candidate for the for the organization so uh, i love how it circles back to that summary of qualifications and uh and that it's still important to bring the soft skills and articulate them uh, within the resume Agreed. And I view the summary of qualifications like the movie trailer of your resume. So if you were writing the film preview, right, in a world where this is my experience, you know, what would you say to like entice me to want to read more? Well, that should catch my eye right away. Uh, and when you use both soft skills and kind of a sneak peek of what you're going to give me more of deeper in the resume, uh, if that's the first thing I read or among the first things I read, uh, then you're likely to catch my eye and um, I'm likely to want to keep talking to you or reading more. So in order to help re get you to read more and in order to help us military you know, folks try to get to some of these signs a little bit more, I mean, do you have any recommendation that you've seen where – where we can dig some of that information out. I mean, I know I talked a little bit about my one specific bullet and, and did my little research, but are there any other nuggets uh, or tips that you can you can give to the listeners out there? Yeah, well, one thing's for sure about Uncle Sam is he's a meticulous record keeper. Uh, and so you probably recorded a lot of the signs in the course of writing evals, fit reps, or other things throughout your career. So go back and pull those. They're kept on record, I think, for perpetuity. Uh, and just about for as long as your career has existed, you've probably got a record somewhere in the system to say, here's what I was doing when I was doing it. Because as time goes on, you're five, 10 years past an experience, you may forget some of the finer details, but they may be relevant to include. So uh, you might want to think about going back to those and figure out what did you write down when you were doing it right in the moment and use those uh, as you can. And I know there are sometimes restrictions and certainly with classified information, we're not asking you to share anything that uh, you can't. But when you do have information you can share, take full advantage of the, uh, the fine records that uh, the government keeps. Um, and you can also ask for input from you know, your commanding officer, your previous leaders, the people you lead, your partners, uh, get that data while you can and while you're still working with them. And this is why I really think that uh, your military transition should probably start on the date of your enlistment or your commissioning, <laughs> because you should constantly be thinking, all right, yes, I am focused on what my job is now, but how can I make sure that I'm going to remember all the great stuff I'm doing now for whatever I'm going to do next? So live in the moment and be present and get the mission accomplished no matter what. But do have a little eye to the future to say, what, what might be valuable about this later on? And if you're in the uh, moment where you're about to retire or you're about to get out, certainly have those conversations live and in person uh, with those you can to get the information you may need. Because it's sometimes helpful to have a, a third-person third, third point of view uh, to, to get some data and reflect on, hey, you know, this really was a significant contribution you made, and you should probably talk about that. Yeah, and, that, and that's a great point, and I appreciate you saying that. There's a few things I want to touch on there was – you know, we, we are taught when we're in the military to you know, keep a running tally of, of the performance development for, for both ourselves and the individual we're evaluating if you're in a leadership position. So if you're if you're doing that at a minimum, then 
all you need to do is a, a, at a bare minimum cut and paste that bullet and leave it on an Excel or Excel spreadsheet or a Word document or whatever the wherever you know you like to keep track of your your information and you have that bullet uh, for as long as as long as you need you can go back to reference it now more ideally I agree a hundred percent with you and that's one thing I try to emphasize is plan for your tr transition day one and you know I, I say it as you know network with the you know the starbucks general manager if you really like drinking coffee you know there's nothing that hurts sure. you taking a few minutes few minutes out of your time to have a conversation with somebody to get to know a business or whatever the case is even if you're not planning on getting out because you know that day's gonna come uh for, you know for me i thought i was a lifer and i ended up getting it out getting out of 10 years and i made the decision at about uh eight and a half years that i was gonna get out and but even if you stay in for life i mean you're you're going to get out. You're going to transition out one day. So it behooves you to use a military term uh, to keep keep that running tab uh, of, of your accomplishments in your resume. And it only takes, you know, a copy and paste if you're doing the professional development thing. And uh, and the other thing I wanted to touch base on was was you own it at the end of the day. So so if you're getting bad performance development uh, and you're currently still in the military, then, you know, ask for more feedback or, and I don't mean bad as far as negative performance. I just mean is not, sure. um, you know, not well written. Uh, yeah. Ask for more information, keep your own tab of information to provide for, for that individual. But there's other places to go. You, you go up the chain of command. I mean, most people don't realize that brigades have comptrollers in them. So you can go yeah. and get, get any amount of, of, of monetary data that you need to grab. Uh, and then you can go to the operations shop if you need to get, uh, you know, uh, operational hours or, or, or information like that. So at the end of the day, you own it. Um, so, so seek out those individuals that are within the organization if it's not directly flowing down through you. Great advice, Ryan. Uh, so, so, you know, at the end of the day, a lot of people, I guess, right or wrong, or, or maybe their decisions change or, or their what they, you know, what motivates them change. But sometimes a lot of individuals are, are just making a complete 180 degree shift, leaving the military uh, and then deciding to do something totally different. I, I'm a prime example. I went to school to be uh, a, a teacher, uh, basically, and a principal. And then I got in, flew Blackhawks in the Army, and now I'm in manufacturing. So yeah. do, you have, do you have any recommendations for, for the people that, you know, the experience or, you know, maybe they have those great bullets, but it just doesn't seem to align with, with what they're trying to do next. Yeah. So uh, the, the way that most people start writing their resume is what's called a reverse chronological resume. And it's absolutely the right way to start. Here's the job I do now. Here's the job I did before and some bullets about each and all the way back through your career. But that might only make sense if the next thing you want to do is a logical progression from the job you do today. So if you're a JAG who wants to be a lawyer, great, we get that. If you're a medic who wants to go to nursing school, fine. Reverse chronological means it probably works. The same for if you want to stay in the defense industrial complex, you want to be a consultant on you know, security strategies or anything related to your technical function you do in the military today. Reverse chronological resumes are the anticipated format that we'll see, and you should probably start there. But I work with a lot of Navy SEALs who want to go to Wall Street or, you know, management consulting. And, you know, I, I work with people who do all sorts of interesting jobs that 
are not going to be what they do in the future. I talked with a nuke the other day from the Navy who's like, well, I don't know exactly what I'm going to do, but I'm pretty sure it's not driving nuclear submarines. <laughs> so <laughs> I say, yeah, I think that's pretty fair. We don't have a lot of those. I think it's zero. Um, so for those scenarios, it might be more helpful to think about something like a functional resume. And I'll tell you, if you ask most recruiters, do you like functional resumes, they'll say no. And if they ask them why, they'll say, well, because what people do on a functional resume is they just tell me skills and traits and give some examples, but they use them to hide stuff. Like they don't tell me where they worked or, you know, they hop around jobs a lot. They were an executive at Enron, you know, some kind of scandal. <laughs> well, there's no scandal with military service. That's not the point we're making. What I'm suggesting is if you highlight first what you bring to the recruiter in what I'll call functional buckets of skills and give the best examples of each of those skills, you can then give me a work history section that details the chronology of where you've worked and you will solve the most common problem with functional resumes, which is they lack context. Lack of context drives recruiters crazy. Because if you've ever been out at a social event with not military people, and you meet someone new, one of their first questions is usually, what do you do? Uh -huh. Well, we're just like other people. <laughs> you've just met us, and we're just meeting you through your resume. So my first question is, what do you do? And if you don't actually tell me where you've worked and what you've done, I'm going to leave scratching my head going, well, okay, interesting experience, but what does he do? I talked to uh, it was an army colonel just last week. He had a functional resume format. He had all these great skills. He never actually said he worked in the army. He had a lot of examples about the army, but there was never a point where he said, oh, and by the way, I've been in the army 30 years. So I said, well, you see how that's going to be a gap. And a civilian could make any kinds of assumptions that you were a civilian DOD employee, you were a contractor, or you were an officer of 30 years. But in any case, it, we need that context to understand the full picture. When you lead with, so what, I'll say, your greatest hits resume, I like to call it, and you say, here are three buckets of skills that I'm great at doing no matter where I go, and make those specific skills that you, A, are really good at, B, everyone else agrees you're really good at them, and see, they're valuable to the occupation you want to pursue. When you organize your examples by buckets instead of by jobs, it allows you a lot of versatility. So I'll give a quick example of um, another uh, officer I was working with. He uh, was Army, and he had been part of the disaster relief in the, the earthquake relief for Haiti. Now, that was 10 years ago nearly now, um, and so a lot of people say, oh, you know, only go back so far. I say, well, go back as far as is relevant. And for him, he wants to pursue something potentially in disaster relief. Mm -hmm. Well, if he just told me, did disaster relief, I might think he was an American Cross volunteer, which would be notable and noble, but very different than if he tells me he was leading operational teams in disaster relief in Haiti. He might still organize his resume showing his disaster relief competencies, but then down at the bottom, he's got to tell me, the context of where that occurred and when he was working for me to get the full picture. When you organize it functionally, he might elevate where that Haitian example occurs to be more towards the top if it's one of the better examples that qualifies him for his next job. And in his case, I think it might be. Yeah, and, and the part I like, I guess, about the functional, or at least the point of if, if you don't exactly know what you're going after, is that is is that you can sell you can sell those strong points in buckets and the fact 
that it's, you know, sometimes you go through those ebbs and flows of, of I guess, what you, where you are, who, you know, the, the stuff you don't have control over. You might get stationed, you know, you're told by, by human resources command that this is where you're getting stationed and you're not, and your unit happens to be the only one that hasn't deployed. So you don't have some of these other metrics, some of these other things, you know, to hold accountable. Uh, you're just, you know, I don't know, keep a track of equipment or, or, or whatever that you're doing. And that's not, you don't want to get into some kind of inventory management. Well, it, it leaves a big gap. It leaves a big gap. And I see a lot of that as I look through people's resumes and, and where the big difference is, at least on the, the officer side of the house is you get all these bullets when they're leaders, uh, what we call green tappers when they're commanders, but then when they're in, you know, assistants, assistant S3s, S4s, what, no matter what level that they're at, you get a, just a few couple bullets and it goes back to what you said at the beginning. It's sometimes some of those bullets are just job description bullets because they don't know what to go after um, because they, they don't feel like they were in charge of making decisions themselves. So you, you strip, you get to strip away some of that and, and just focus on, who you are and defining yourself a little bit more without it, without it tying into a timeline. And uh, a great point, you know, for me uh, at a period of time when I got out, which was, which was outside of the 10 years, I, I, you know, we had the conversation before uh, the recording that we, you know, we're both diet and exercises. My father ran a gym uh, for 25 years. I assisted in numerous operations for him and I was looking at getting into, despite not having a, um, you know, education in diet and nutrition, I had, uh, several experience and, and I decided to put that on one of my resumes where I was applying to it because it was applicable on that, in that situation. And it was more of a functional based resume because I don't want to sit here and say, well, 10 years ago I was, I worked at a at a gym as a vice president and helped do marketing and and training and you know equipment purchasing and then oh yeah for the last ten years I've been in the army and we work out but yeah. uh, you know it's not not really relevant so um, you know it, it allows you to it allows you to just like you said go back and hit those greatest hits what's what's mo most important and and tell your story most effectively yeah because a lot of times there's things you do throughout your career that are the way you get work done and the skills you have that transcend the job that you're doing. So, you know, if you start as an aviator, then you become a trainer, then you go somewhere else and you get attached to an embassy and then you're sitting at the Pentagon doing something strategic. Like th that's very different tasks that you might've done, but overall the skill set you've been building might be one that is very uh, cohesive throughout and might be things around leadership, around influence, developing strategies, analyzing problems and solving them driving continuous improvement, those things are examples of what you might put into buckets. And you might have a whole bucket of skills on continuous improvement and driving change mm -hmm. because you want to be a management consultant. Okay, well, that's what management consultants do. They make companies better and they help them drive changes. So if you can give me examples of how you did that as a Black Hawk pilot at an embassy and at the Pentagon, well, then it doesn't matter as much when and where you did it as it matters that you did it. Yeah, I appreciate that, Scott. No, that's, uh, I think, something that needs to be kept in the bag of tricks for individuals and know that, you know, it's not, um, you know, not necessarily held against them. I mean, it's not ideal. I mean, I, you know, ideal situation is, you know, you have the skills, um, I wouldn't say the skills, but you, you know the route that needs to be taken. But um, 
it's not to be said that you haven't done amazing things uh, and, and that you still have an opportunity out there to find something that fits that a little bit better, um, despite the fact that you, you know, were, were torn back and forth on the beaten path throughout your throughout your military career. So. Uh, right. And, and, and I think a point worth noting here is I've been mentioning officers a lot. Uh, it's just because I've had a very 0506 heavy week of uh, resume <laughs> consultations. Uh, but the same applies to enlisted folks as well. You know, you don't have to be a, a commander in order to have great examples of your individual leadership. You know, I think it's one of the great myths of uh, civilian perception of the military is there's this top down, you just do what I say structure, when indeed there's a lot of individual leadership that's going on that's really making the world a better place. And whether that is something just within your span of control and your unit that you help drive a decision on or influence someone's decision on, you can still articulate those things using the signs of a great resume, potentially using a functional format or a blended functional format um, at any rank. And it doesn't matter if you're an E3 or you got three stars on your shoulder. What matters is that you show me what makes you unique. Yeah, and, the, and there are plenty, and I'm glad you, you caveated with that because there's, there's a lot you know, and uh, and I would actually argue too that some of the some of those other individuals, um, before they hit the the jack of all trades, master of none, they have a lot of opportunity to to have a technical task where they can hang or they can hang a number on or they can hang a yeah. uh, you know a certain amount of experience. You know, I uh, you know f- whatever fixed uh, um, you know did maintenance phase maintenance on, you know, 32 helicopters, you know, across the you know, 12 month period or whatever the case is, you know, and you get that opportunity to, to show that you are, you are a leader, um, that you are a technical expert and that you are, you know, an executor and a doer as well. So, um, sure. absolutely. So let me ask you this before we hit, hit open mic time. So, uh, you know, we obviously we're talking about resume, resume, resume. Uh, having you be the resume guru, uh, as I alluded, but uh, but how does that networking, you know, fit in fit into all this? If you can give, you know, a, just a, a blurb or a couple minutes on uh, on how uh, you know a military transitioning service member can can parlay the resume in with in with the networking side of the house so that their resume gets you know seen. Yeah, so I always say the best way to apply for a job is not to. Ideally, you want to be networking and making introductions and having informational interviews with people who are hiring managers or friends with hiring managers or people that may be in a position to connect you with their network to help you land a job that is really a great fit for your skills. I ideally do not want you going to whatever.com slash careers and just going apply, 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 because Hundreds of people do that. For every job we post, a hundred or more applicants very frequently apply. So that is not a numbers game that works in anybody's favor. Nonetheless, someone coming from a very different industry, the military, than most civilian industries. So since those odds aren't stacked in your favor, the best way to get an edge is to start interviewing for jobs, essentially, before a job is even posted. And the very easy way to do that is just to ask the question, Can you talk to me about what makes people successful in your organization? And you can couch that in, I'm a transitioning service member, and I'm really interested in what you do. Would you take five minutes to talk with me about what you do and what makes you successful? 
And five minutes is not a lot of time, but it's also not a lot to ask. And if there's Americans out there who wouldn't give five minutes of their life to help a transitioning service member, well, you don't want to talk to them anyway. <laughs> yeah. um, so the, the friendliest place to start that conversation might be through utilizing LinkedIn to research companies you're interested in. And you may know, I think they're still doing it, where LinkedIn gives a, a, preference, mm -hmm. uh, a preferential um, platform to veterans for their first year after transition. Uh, you can look that up on their site. I, I don't work for LinkedIn. Um, but use that to explore, all right, here's a company I want to work at, Company X. Well, when you find Company X and you find the employees who work there, just type in Army, Navy, Marine Corps, Air Force, Coast Guard, and see who are the veterans who are already there. Those folks are probably the most likely folks to start the conversation. Hey, fellow Marine, I'm curious about Company X also. Would you take five minutes to talk me through what makes somebody successful there or why you like working there or how our Marine values come to life at that company? And I bet you that Marine take five minutes out of her time to talk to you. Why wouldn't she? So that simple conversation, and that's a simple LinkedIn connection request. You can do it cold, and I've done that for many veterans that I've connected with, that, you know, that I'll connect them with someone in my network and say, hey, I just did it today. There was a, a Navy SEAL who is passionate about hockey. He just wants to work in hockey like nobody's business, and he wants to live in Boston, and he wants to work at the Boston Bruins. So I mined my network, figured out who I knew who had worked at the Bruins, asked her to introduce me to somebody at the Bruins for a conversation for a couple minutes with a Navy SEAL. How many days of the week does someone at the Bruins get asked to chat with a Navy SEAL? Right. Probably near zero days. <laughs> so that's going to be an interesting conversation with them, but it's also going to help that service member. Because now, even if that's not the CEO of the Bruins, and it wasn't, um, you know, it's an opportunity to learn. It's an opportunity to get a peek inside the culture, and it's a chance to start getting familiar with what is important to other organizations. Yeah, and, and a couple of things I wanted to emphasize uh, in that I love there was, and I, I call it never stop interviewing, and the best yeah. interview is the fact, it, the best interview is when you don't even know it's an interview, and that that's, you yeah. know, goes along the lines of what you said, and, and when you just reach out to people, have a conversation to the, you know, the, the friends of the friends of the hiring managers, and, and at the end of the day, people like to talk, they like to talk about their organization, they like to talk about themselves, uh, and, and they certainly, you know, for the most part, people, to your point, most people like to help veterans, so, um, you know, don't be afraid to, to reach out with them and ask. I mean, that's what I did. Just started. I, I took advantage of LinkedIn and just did the same thing. Army aviator, Army, you know, Air Force uh, aviation and just started finding all the veterans that were in there and say, hey, would you might like to give a moment of your time? I'd like to learn a little bit more. So um, and then. And, and, and as you go through the whole process, you know, you start to share stories and you can be a little bit more comfortable. And it turns out that person might be a hiring manager or might be or, or might be friends of somebody. And, and next thing you know, they're hand walking that resume to the person's desk. So uh, and it was exactly. just over, you know, over a cup of coffee, so to speak. So yeah. um, and it's not even like a selfish ask of any kind, because ideally that conversation is going to yield. Oh, and here's what the veteran can do for the civilian organization, too. So it's not just you want, 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 give me, give me details so I can skip the line. No, it's you have something valuable to share. You have this great experience you've been honing over your military career. That's something of value to offer civilians. And part of the question you ask in uh, that conversation can be, you know, how might my skills of doing X, Y, and Z, whether those are soft or hard skills, technical skills or you know, interpersonal skills, 
make someone successful at your organization. And that starts to teach them like, oh, I didn't realize that Navy SEALs do a lot of training of foreign military people. And we have vendors in our stadium that you could be training. And maybe there's a connection. And, you know, you start to educate people because back to our fifth grader example, you know, most civilians just aren't well informed about the military enough to know what it means that you're going to bring with you. By having these informational interviews, you're not only helping yourself, you're helping everyone you've served with because you're educating civilians on the awesome things that you bring to the workforce. Yeah, and I mean, that, that sums it all basically all up. And, and you know, I, I very much value you taking the time, Scott, to, to lay this all out there. I think this will be something that definitely helps the listeners out there. Um, but, but before we wrap up and, and move on, I want to just give you a chance, uh, open mic time, like I like to give all my guests and allow you to, you know, parting words or any other, you know, tips and guidance or how, how people get to, you know, find out, find you, find your book, so on and so forth. Sure. So thank you for that. And so first I'll give kudos to you because one of the more important tips I give to people in their veteran transition is once you are situated in your civilian career, start giving back mm -hmm. and start paying forward to those other transitioning service members who are going to feel like you're feeling right now. Because as you know, confident as many of our service members are and as capable and as intelligent, this is an uncomfortable moment for a lot of people. And it's okay. I, I often uh, tell this story. I met with a retired two-star and he said to me, you know, Scott, I've been in the military 30 some odd years. And uh, for the first time, when I left the military, for the first time in a long time, I felt like a total fool when I walked into AT&T because I had no idea how to buy a cell phone. Mm -hmm. The military has handed me every cell phone I have ever owned, so I didn't know what to do. How do you think I feel writing a resume? <laughs> and I say, I say that story because it's true. If a two-star feels that lack of confidence and that much like a fish out of water writing a resume, it's okay that you might feel that way too. Even if you're confident about the search, and you should be confident because you have a lot to offer, you should still be thinking ahead to, all right, how am I going to help a veteran someday from my seat in the civilian world? And so uh, what you're doing with this podcast and in your work more broadly, Ryan, is an important example of that. So I commend you for it. Um, but I would also suggest there are formal ways that we can all help. Uh, that could be through organizations like ACP. So American Corporate Partners uh, is an organization I've been proud to mentor through and work with some. Uh, what they do is they pair up transitioning service members one-on-one -on -one with a corporate leader somewhere in America. Um, and from that, you get a year-long mentorship from just someone who gets to know you and understand you and be someone you can just call on and go, hey, I've got a wacky question. Can you tell me how this works? And I'm on my fifth uh, protege through American Corporate Partners, and I uh, just got assigned to uh, an Army captain, an aviator, actually. Uh, and uh, so we've just begun working together. But I'm proud to say that uh, many of my last uh, protégés have gone on to great success in their careers, not because of my mentorship necessarily, although I hope it helped, but in a way because they started to reach a network of people mm -hmm. who are willing to help and who have the expertise to help. So uh, a headline I'll give you here is, let the experts do what they're good at. And so there are phenomenal organizations out there doing really great work to help you in the transition space. A few that I've either worked with or have come to support uh, include the Commit Foundation. 
the uh, SEAL Future Foundation and the Navy Special Operations Foundation, um, each of which offers um, targeted veteran service programs uh, that include things like resume and interview coaching with yours truly, uh, or um, things like executive coaching and career counseling type of work where they will connect you with someone who is an expert in helping you find that next mission, in helping you find rewarding, valuable work that you will be you know, enriched by and hopefully well compensated for as well, uh, but so you can find and enjoy the same success and fulfillment in your next career as I hope you felt in your military career. Yeah, and that, that I'll put put all those in the show notes, Scott, and I appreciate you sharing with those, and, and I like to sum it up as, as own it, uh, you own it, and don't be afraid to ask. Uh, you know, you, you might get some of those people who just don't reply or don't answer, but, but as you and I have both said a few times now, most people are going to help, uh, and you take, you take what you will. I used ACP. Um, you know, and I had some several candid conversations and, and, and I always listened to my mentor's advice. I didn't always go the direction he recommended. Um, but, uh, it was nice to, you know, really have a, have a sounding board and just have an open community, you know, communication with somebody who I knew wasn't, you know, going to you know, hold my decisions against me, so to speak. And then, uh, you know, it'll help, help grow my network from there to your point. Cause, uh, you know, that's when we circled back to the resume versus networking, it's all about trying to grow that network. So that resumes, uh, not applied for that job's not applied for it's, it's passed along to somebody. Uh, so you can, if you're a fan of Jim Collins, so you can get, get on the bus, uh, and then we'll find the right thing for you. <laughs> Right. Well, when it comes to getting on the resume bus, I, I hope you'll check out some of the tips I've posted at scottvetter.com. Uh, of course, you can pick up signs of a great resume. The veterans edition I wrote just for transitioning service members, reservists, and military spouses, by the way. We have not talked about really the unsung heroes of the American mm -hmm. military, which are the spouses supporting our service members all over the world. Um, some of the, the most underemployed people on planet Earth. Uh, who have skills and qualities to bring to the civilian workforce that really are undercapitalized. Uh, so if you're a military spouse, a lot of the same insight I've shared today applies. Uh, you might not have an OER to go back to, uh, but uh, you certainly have valuable contributions you've shared through things like MWR programs, through what you've done at home, or through your career that you've uh, hopefully been able to port with you wherever you've deployed. Uh, but you know, I appreciate what they do to, to support our, our um, service members as well. Yeah, a topic I, I am trying to do this year in 2020 is talk about the whole mill spouse thing um, because it's to your point uh, un un probably underappreciated underemployed and uh, you know really you know you want to go back to the Patriot you know they're they're all those soft skills right there you know without a without a bat of the eye and and then and then some I know uh, I make the joke uh, if it wasn't for my wife I'd still have furniture off the side of the street you know and, and uh, <laughs> you know uh, figuring out what I was going to eat for dinner tonight. So, uh, you know, she sure. keeps, she's a glue, keeps it all together. Um, so we're, we're going to do an episode on that uh, in the future as well. So I appreciate you, you, you know, plugging them as well. Good. All right. Well, thanks again, uh, Scott, a lot of great information. I really appreciate it. Uh, and, and having you on and we're can't wait to get this out, uh, you know, to the listeners out there and have them enjoy, uh, you know, and, learn some valuable lessons when it comes to writing a resume.
Awesome. Thank you, Ryan. Appreciate you. And thank you all for what you're doing out there to make the world a better place, keep us safe, and uh, really stay safe and know that we're out here waiting to help you. I can't wait to see uh, more about where you succeed in your next career. Thank you so much, Scott, for sharing all your knowledge and your wisdom and talking about the resume and even going beyond that, talking about networking, the best way to get military folks out there in front of the, the hiring managers, in front of the recruiters uh, in the best light possible. Uh, th this has been an absolute valuable episode and I appreciate the time and effort that you put into to help selflessly serve transitioning service members and veterans out there. And for the listeners out there, again, go to Scott's page, uh, take a look at what he's done and the resources and understand that that this information that you received today is is priceless. So thank you very much for listening. Hopefully you got something I know you should have. And as always, leave the foxhole better for the next person. Play up, play up, play up, hi ho, lock and load.